In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So yesterday um, we started speaking about uh, Isaiah chapter 50 um, and we spoke about what's called the certificate of divorce of how when the people were being sent into exile or the prophecy of Isaiah speaking about how the people are going to be rejected by God because of their sin, that this was a rejection from the people to God. The people are the ones that rejected God, not God is the one who is like divorcing his people or rejecting his people. Um, and then we spoke about how God is able to deliver, that even though his people have rejected him, that he is able to deliver and to bring them back to him. And we spoke about that this deliverance came through suffering that the Lord demonstrated his love to his people, not simply by snapping his fingers and saying, okay, everyone can now come back to me, um, but because of the suffering that the Lord offered out of love um, to us. And then finally, at the end, we spoke about that there was an inv invitation to obedience, that in order for us to benefit from the, the suffering of Christ, from the gift of salvation that he is offering us, that we have to obey him. And it says in Isaiah 50, verse 10, let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. And this is for our salvation, that we rely on God. Today we're going to speak briefly about what are the benefits now, having accepted the gift of salvation that Christ offers to us. And this is also in uh, the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61. This is what, what now God is telling us now that we have been redeemed by him. What is it that we should expect and what is it that will happen to us? So and we read in Isaiah 61 verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good things to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is a verse that was actually Christ himself read it in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, and that this is a prophecy about himself. So he spoke in the synagogue, and he spoke what the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and he spoke about all of these things. And after he read this scripture, he told the people, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what is this fulfillment of scripture that Christ is saying is happening now on this day as he is reading? This means that all of these characteristics that we read about here in verse 1 of Isaiah 61 are going to come to pass. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he is the Messiah and he's speaking this because the Lord has anointed me. Actually, when we say the word Messiah, that is what Messiah means. It means the anointed, okay, the anointed, to preach good tidings to the poor. So in, in Christ's day and also in our day today, maybe the poor are people that are traditionally neglected in society because they are seen as being less and outcasts and not in the mainstream. Christ here, he is coming what specifically to the poor. He says to preach good tidings to the poor. Why to the poor? The poor are far more likely to listen to the message of the good news that Christ is coming to offer because they are already poor. They are already lacking something. They feel like there is something missing in their lives. There is some struggle, some pain, some suffering that they are experiencing. So when Christ comes to offer this message of salvation, this message of healing, this, this, this message to them, they will be the first ones to listen to him because they feel like they are in need. And similarly, those who feel like they are already full, they are already rich, they already have plenty and an abundance, when Christ comes and he gives the message of salvation to these people, then maybe they will think to themselves, we do not need this message. You know, we don't need what it is that you're coming to offer to us because we already have everything that we want. And this is very important for us in our day and age today because especially here in the U.S., we are very full, we are very rich, we have very many things. I mean, we live 
in, in, a, in, a, in a very opulent, wealthy society. Um, and so maybe when the message of salvation comes to us, we think, well, do I really need this? And especially when the message of salvation comes with it, this concept of suffering for Christ. Suffering and working and, and spiritual struggle and all these difficulties that we go through and that we're actually denying our flesh by our own will and, and kind of causing ourselves to suffer by fasting, by praying, by doing these things. Why is it that someone who is not already feeling any kind of need, why is it that this person would accept such a message? You're coming to tell me that I should you know, leave all of these things that bring me pleasure, that I should, you know, by my own will, cause myself to suffer and to abandon things that I like and so on. Why is it that I would even listen to you? And this is why actually for the poor, it is easier because they feel like there is already something that they need and so they're more willing to listen to the words of Christ. But to those who are not poor, we have to realize that the poverty that we have maybe is not a physical poverty. It's not a kind of a poverty where maybe we we don't have any money and we can't buy things. It's a spiritual poverty. And actually, Mother Teresa, um, in her movie, I, I watched it, she spoke about how, you know, when she came to, I believe it was Europe, um, she, she saw how, like, the people there were like drug addicts and, and, and they had all these other kind of problems that even though they were not poor necessarily, but they were spiritually poor. And she, she wrote back to her the, the other, you know, sisters that she was serving with in India. And she said she was surprised to find this, that, you know, the, the, the impression is that, you know, first world countries, they have everything and they're rich, they don't have any problems. But the kind of problems that they have is maybe a different type of problem, a spiritual poverty as opposed to a physical poverty. So this is important for us because in order for us to receive salvation from Christ, in order for us to have this new life in Christ, we have to see our spiritual poverty so that we can turn to him and listen to his words, what it is that he has to say, what is his message to us, and that we can eat it. It's like food for us, like spiritual food. Only those people who are hungry are going to eat, right? So if you're physically hungry and someone comes and offers you this food, you're going to eat it, you're going to consume it, you're going you're gonna to eat it quickly because you want it for yourself because you see that it is like the source of life for you. And so similarly, someone who is spiritually poor, when they recognize their spiritual poverty, when they're given the spiritual food, they're going to consume it. They're going to eat it. When someone who is spiritually poor has the Bible, they're going to consume it. They're going to read it. They're going to want to know what is it that the Bible is saying? What is God's message to me? But unfortunately, when we don't see our spiritual poverty, because we sometimes get so distracted and busy in the world, and we focus much more on the physical than the spiritual, we focus much more on the physical money that we want to get, the physical food that we want to get, the physical items and things in our life that we want to get, and we forget the idea that we're spiritually poor, then when we are offered the spiritual food, we're like, I don't need this. Like, this is, this is just a distraction for me. I don't, this is something extra I don't really need. Why are you coming to telling me these things? What I really want is to focus on my career. What I really want is to focus on my you know, financial goals. What I really want is to focus on my hobbies. Whatever other thing that we care about, right? maybe not the spiritual um, aspect of our life. So this is why when he's saying what to preach good tidings to the poor, because the poor are the only ones that can receive the message of God. We have to be poor, not necessarily physically poor, but we have to recognize our spiritual poverty in order for us to hear the preaching and to act on the preaching of Christ. He also says that he is a healer of the brokenhearted. Again, who is the brokenhearted? The brokenhearted are those that have placed their love into something that has failed them. This is what it means to be brokenhearted. My heart has been attached to something in the world, and that thing has disappointed me. That thing has failed me. It could be a person. It could be a goal. It could be 
family member, it could be whatever it is that our heart is attached to, that we built ourselves up onto something or someone, and that thing or that person has failed us, and so our hearts that were attached have been like ripped apart. You can imagine your your heart is like attached to something, and then that thing is pulled away, and then and like your heart is left like shattered because of this this brokenness, because of this attachment that we had. So when he's saying he's coming to heal the brokenhearted, what is he saying? He's saying that I'm coming to offer you something that cannot be taken away from you. I'm coming to offer you something that will not disappoint you. I'm coming to offer myself to you, who I promise I will never, never leave you nor forsake you. This is what he says. So when we built ourselves on Christ, the one who can never leave us or forsake us, then there is no way we can ever be disappointed in him. There is no way we can ever have anxiety that this person will leave us. There is no way that we can ever be afraid that this person will fail us, unlike everything else, maybe everything else that has failed. So again, he's going to the heal those who are brokenhearted by replacing the thing that they were attached to with something else. Right? You, you were, you, you were brokenhearted because you placed your trust and your hope and your love and your mind and your focus and everything on a specific thing, and that thing failed. That thing did not, did not live up to your expectations, and you, you were shattered. You were disappointed because of it. But instead, I am coming to offer you something else. Like in the scriptures, it's saying what you have, you have placed your trust in the broken cisterns. You know, the, the cisterns are like a, like a pot, the pot that's broken. And every time you try to pour water into a broken pot, all the water comes out of the cracks of the pot and the pot remains empty. And God is saying, what, I am like the, the whole cistern, like the pot that's not broken. When you pour water in me, what, I, I, do, not, I do not let the water leak out. He's saying what his people have put their trust in these broken cisterns that can hold no water, that they keep going after idols and distractions and all other kinds of manners of, of sinful activity that the people were doing, and they thought that this was going to satisfy them, to bring them wholeness, to bring them good things in their life, and that left them broken because they were placing their trust in something broken. So God is now saying, now you have seen the experience of what it means when you place your heart when you trust in something that is uh, broken, like the broken cisterns. And he's saying, now I'm coming to offer you something new, right? Do not be afraid to come to me because I will be a different experience than what you have experienced in the past because I will bring you healing. Not only am I going to offer you something new, but I'm going to heal you from the brokenness that you had before, okay? This is, this is what Christ is telling us. So says that he's going to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening the prison to those who are bound so who are these people that are bound okay he's saying he's going to set free people that are bound people that are in chains people that are in bondage people that are in prison all those kind of symbols of people who are you know don't have freedom right the idea is those people who do not have freedom god is coming to offer freedom right in society today, when you know you ask non-Christians about Christianity, many people will have the the opposite opinion. They will say, you know, Christianity, it's all about rules, it's all about control, it's all about telling you what you can and cannot do, and you have no freedom, right? Those who are non-Christians might say, we have the freedom because we can do anything. Whereas in your religion, if you do these certain things, you have condemnation, you have judgment. People are making you feel guilty because you are doing these things. Okay. So in what way are you coming to tell us that Christianity is offering freedom and that God is offering freedom and that he is what? He is letting you go of your bondage. Okay, what kind of a bondage is this? Well, there's more than one type of bondage. One is 
the bondage of sin which came upon the nature of mankind from the beginning the original sin that we had which brings about death from the moment a child is born into the world he has a death sentence okay and and I don't mean the physical death because obviously we are all going to die physically there is a there is a death sentence there is a spiritual death sentence on every single person who is born that they are destined to condemnation okay because of the sin of Adam and Eve that we inherited so what God is saying what is I'm offering you freedom from this death sentence so that through baptism you have become you have become a new creation you've become a new like a new person where you are no longer under this penalty of death so that's one type of freedom of bondage okay because we have become free another type of freedom of bondage is the freedom of self-control right that that maybe the things that the world considers to be freedom is actually slavery when when those people who you know commit fornication and adultery and drinking and like all these things out of control are those people in control of themselves are those people actually saying you know what I am free or actually are they under a different kind of slavery they're they're under a slavery because they cannot control themselves if they were to say you know what I'm deciding today that I'm gonna stop smoking I'm gonna stop drinking I'm gonna stop drugs I'm gonna stop whatever it is are they gonna be successful are they going to be able to stop? There are people that destroy their lives because of drugs, because of gambling, because of whatever it is. And they recognize that this is destroying their life and they, they cannot stop. Is that freedom? Because you have, you have said you can do all things. Does that mean you have freedom? Or are you under slavery, a different kind of slavery, where you are a slave to your own passions, to your own lusts? So Christ here is offering us freedom. He's saying what? Through the work of the Spirit in you, I'm granting you freedom from this lusts. I'm granting you freedom from them so that you can now choose for yourself to do good instead of being under the bondage of evil. You can now choose to do good. You don't have to do according to your nature, which is a, a wicked, defiled nature, but you can do, do good according to the Spirit of God. This prison door that God is opening, he's saying when he says what? The opening of the prison to those who are bound. This prison door is a door that God can open. But imagine that you have a prison where all of the doors have been opened, but the prisoners choose to remain. They, they don't want to leave it. You know, this is what they're used to. They're used to being in the prison. And actually, there's some comfort in the prison. Because in the prison, you can sleep. In the prison, you get fed food. There is comfort in the prisons that we're in. And, and just as those who are addicted to sin, there is some comfort in those sins. One of the things that makes it difficult, actually, to come out of an addiction is because the addiction offers us something comfortable, something that we like, right? It makes us feel a certain way that we like, and it's difficult for me that even though God sets me free from this prison, it is difficult for me to walk outside of those doors and be free. Actually, if you think even about the example of the Egyptian or the uh, Israelites in Egypt, they were in prison. They were slaves in Egypt, and they were so harshly treated. But when God led them out of Egypt into the wilderness, what is it that they began to say? They began to grumble against God, and they say, we want to go back to Egypt again because over there we got to eat meat. Over there we had water. Over there we had all the things that we wanted, and they totally forgot about the slavery. They totally forgot about the harsh treatment that they were receiving, and all they thought of was, oh, yes, well, we got to eat meat. Okay, so we also sometimes when we go through this struggle of exiting the prison that God is granting us freedom from, it is maybe a difficult process of to leave the prison. There are some things in the prison that are comforting to us. 
and instead we go back again. So here, Christ is offering us freedom. He's offering us freedom. And he's saying all of these things he is offering us by his coming. This is why when Christ read this in Luke chapter 4, he said, what, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today it is fulfilled in your hearing, right? Because, because he is the one who has come. He is incarnate, and now he is offering this to all of the people. Also, in uh, Isaiah 61, verse 3, he speaks about how now that the direction is going to reverse. Maybe we were headed in a direction of death, of destruction, of pain, of suffering, and now the direction that we are headed is in the opposite direction. Okay, it's in a good direction. He says, what, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. So God is wanting to reverse the course of his people. We know in this prophecy, of course, Isaiah is speaking about the exile. Okay? Because in the future, from this time of this prophecy, we know that the people of Judah, they were exiled to the land of Babylon, where they remained there for 70 years, and everything of theirs was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed, the walls were destroyed, the temple was destroyed, their entire civilization was destroyed, and all the people were taken away to live in a pagan land, right? Essentially as servants of these people, okay? And yet, here what God is prophesying, he's telling them is going to happen, is there will be a time where everything will reverse, okay? Where you will be returned again, where God will be glorified, where you will rebuild the old ruins, where you raise up the former desolations, and you repair the ruined cities, right? And so here he's saying again, what is it that you should expect as a believer? What is it that we should be expecting in the New Testament? That God is reversing the course. That while again we might be born with a death sentence, and yet everything is reversed now, and now we are given a new life. Now we were born as, uh, as a creation that is sentenced to death, and now we are recreated as a, as a creation that is sentenced to have eternal life. And he is going to give us joy for mourning. One of the problems that exists today um, in the world is a sense of constant mourning and depression and sadness and darkness because people, they see that the only, the only thing that exists, they believe that this world is it. The only thing that exists is pain. The only thing that exists is suffering. The only thing that exists is darkness. There is nothing in the world, there is no way in the world to escape this. Maybe as young children that hadn't gone through a lot of difficulties in their life, they grow up happy, and they grow up thinking that the world is, is good and innocent, and, and there's good things in the world, and they're excited and happy because the, the world that they're living in, the sheltered world that they're in, is a nice one. But as they grow older, and they mature, and they realize what is the actual world like, it is a depressing place. Okay, it is a depressing place. And this is why so many adults, and especially now more and more, like the statistics show that depression is on the increase, we have a sense of emptiness, uh, a lack of purpose, a lack of function. What is the purpose of my life? What is it that I'm to do here? For someone who believes that our life ends at the grave and there is nothing else, what is the purpose? What is, what is that we do here? We just spend a few years trying to enjoy ourselves as much as possible, and then in the end we die and we disappear, right? If that really is the belief, then there is, there is a constant mourning. And maybe that mourning 
we try to anesthetize it by trying to forget the idea that we are mortal trying to forget the idea that a day will come when we will when we will perish in this life we will die we will not be alive here in the world anymore we try to forget this but if you think about actually what does the church teach actually we're we're studying in the servants meeting the uh, book of uh, the ladder of divine ascent and in this book one of the virtues is the remembrance of death which maybe if you think about it, it seems like a kind of a morbid thing well, am I supposed to be constantly, all the time, remembering my death? Is, is, this, is this something that's going to bring me joy? Actually, it seems like maybe that's going to bring me mourning, right? But that shows us the difference perspective between the life of the Christian and the life of the non-Christian. The life of the non-Christian, the only source of joy is the here and now. Is how can I indulge myself? How can I enjoy myself here? How can I how can I maximize the pleasure that I receive here? Because this is the only thing that matters. This is the only place that exists. And so I try to push away the idea of death. I don't want to think about death. I want to believe that I can live forever. And and actually, there is scientific research being done now to try to prolong human life so that people don't have to die. Like this is a serious research field that people don't want to die. And they are hoping and expecting that eventually they will be able to cure all diseases so that people don't have to die anymore. What is the motivation for this? The motivation is because we want to remain here. Because this is the only source of, of any kind of joy or any kind of pleasure we can have is in the world. Forget the fact that the world is miserable. I mean, if you look at the, 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 the amount of depression in the world, you don't look at, at people that really want to continue living. You don't look at uh, people that are happy here to continue living. And yet, we have no option. The only world that we have is this one. And people don't want to die and people don't want to live. People don't know what to do. Okay? But as a believer, what is our source of joy? Our source of joy is not now. Our source of joy is in heaven. So the idea of the remembrance of death is not supposed to bring some kind of a morbid realization that we are going to die. It's supposed to actually be the source of joy. Because my joy is not here. I look forward. My joy and my hope is in the future is something that God will grant me in the future, is the union with God in the future. So this is the joy. And so this is the reversing, of course, that in every way, the direction that I was passing led me nowhere good. Every, every day I woke up, I was one step closer to misery. I was one step closer to eternal separation from God. Whereas now, every day that I wake up, I'm one step closer to eternal union with God. I'm one step closer to being in heaven with God. This is why death is in the remembrance of death is actually good right this is this is what he means the reversing of course we were traveling this way to darkness and now we are traveling this way to light also he says in verse 7 instead of your shame you shall have double honor and instead of confusion they shall rejoice in their portion therefore in their land they shall possess double everlasting joy shall be theirs what is this double honor so some of the church fathers, they speak about this double honor as the two things of the forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ. Okay, the forgiveness of sins is one honor, and the second is the righteousness of Christ. What does this mean? It means that through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, not only have we been forgiven our sins, but we have been given the ability to become like Christ, that we have bec to become like in, in union with God to become like him, to have his virtues, to have his character. So not only are we speaking about that we remain as we are, but now we're going to heaven. No, actually, even, even our, 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 our nature changes. Who we are changes. 
The thoughts that we have change. The things that I desire change. And this is important because as Christians, we are called to struggle for righteousness. It's always struggling for righteousness. But when I achieve righteousness, when God gives me the gift of righteousness, then I don't have to struggle anymore. Right? God is calling us to struggle until we reach it. To struggle until we reach it. All the times we are trying harder and harder to do good, and maybe we're fighting against our nature. We're fighting against my sinful desires. And yet the day that God grants me virtue and grants me freedom from my passions, this is a day where I don't have to struggle anymore, where I'm simply joyful, where my will and God's will are the same. And I don't have to force myself to obey God, but that I naturally obey him. This is the honor that we receive, then that, that we become like God in the, in the sense that we want the things that he wants. Also in verse 9, Isaiah says, Their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. All who shall see them shall acknowledge them that they are posterity whom the Lord has blessed. Okay. So he says what the descendants shall be known among the Gentiles, meaning we will be blessed, we will be unique, we will stand out so that the other people, the people who are not the people of God, will see us, right? Because of the blessing that God has given us. And this is very important for us because as believers, we are supposed to stand out. We are supposed to be different. We're supposed to look different. We're not supposed to be doing the same thing or acting in the same way as everyone else, but we are supposed to stand out as being different. People should look at us and see we have a different manner of life. We have a different way of approaching things. We have a different speech. We have a different perspective. That we are joyful and not always depressed and sad. Why? Because if I really believe in the resurrection of the dead and I believe that I will be resurrected and I, will be, I believe that I will have eternal life and yet I go around depressed like everybody else, the ma what are other people going to conclude about me? They're going to conclude, well, I really don't believe because if I really did believe, then I wouldn't act or feel the way that I do. This is actually a greater testimony for the existence of God than any words and any preaching and any theology is simply being joyful, that I am a joyful person, right? And this is a blessing that God gives us. And he speaks about this in verse 10. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. He's saying what? We are to be joyful like a bride going to be married to her groom, right? Because we are the bride of Christ. We are, we are like in a marriage relationship, us and God. And he's saying just as the, as, the, as the bride is joyful on the day of her wedding to be united with her husband, so we also as the church should be joyful joyful in my God. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, right? So this is something very great because we remember our origins that we are dust, that God took us to be dust from, from starting from dust and he made us to be something very special that we do not deserve, far greater than anything we can understand. And not only did he make us to be alive and not only did he make us to be like conscience and able to think and to speak and all this, but he gave us eternity. Right? He, gave us, he gave us more than any other creation that has ever been made. He gave it to us. And we didn't do anything to deserve this. It's not because we are good. So this should be the source of joy that we have. But, but sadly, sometimes we forget this. We all get overwhelmed with the day-to-day -day life. We get overwhelmed with what I have to do today and the problems that I have today and the, the suffering I have today and the responsibilities I have today. And this makes us to forget 
the kind of joy that we are called to have all the time. And this is important for us to always to remind ourselves of who we are, what is our perspective in life, what is really happening around us. Not to become consumed with the daily, but to remember the eternal. Remember what is, ha remember the spiritual, not only focusing on the physical, right? And to remember the spiritual, we have to invest in spiritual activities. You know, when we come to church, when we read the Bible, when we pray, always reminding ourselves that God is present and that God is leading us to himself. And for this, we should always be joyful. So this is the new life that God is offering to us. God willing, tomorrow, we're going to continue and start speaking about how is this new life manifested in the church? What is the role of the church in this, in this life of salvation that God is giving us? And why it is so important to be participating in the church and glory be to God forever. Amen.